If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, beautiful humans. Welcome to The Shawnee Show and back to another Tuesday. We're finally back on a Tuesday grind. Sorry about the sort of uh, instability, if you will, in The Shawnee Show posting world. Uh, We had so many NFT conferences and events. It's just been crazy, but we are back. We are back to our Tuesday rhythm. I'm so happy to be here. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It's an interview with the wonderful Matt Belinsky. If you don't follow him already, you definitely should. He's on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Belinsky. That's M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. You know, he is so knowledgeable when it comes to California politics and everything going down in the state. And then also on the city level, specifically with Gascon and the recall efforts that are happening right now. And we dive into all of that. You know, I was capped at 45 minutes, so I didn't really get the second hour, if you will, to dive deeper into his story and things like that, which we will definitely do the next time he is on this podcast, because I'm sure he has just a fantastic story. Um, So I I kept it to things that I thought were really relevant to California politics and what's happening now. We also touched on Leah Thomas a little bit, the NCAA, and then we did as well discuss uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, which is a a pretty crazy story that's kind of going unnoticed right now. So we we cover a, a few different areas. You know, we had a part of the conversation which uh, dove into police brutality and some of the things that uh, came up last year during uh, some of the protests and things like that. And, you know, I don't disagree with Matt by any means. I mean, there was an area where I pushed back and you'll hear me talking about that. But I also just agree with perhaps more factors at play. Uh, So while I don't necessarily disagree with him, I don't think that that's all there is to the story. And I would have loved to have gone deeper on that and pushed back harder on that, but we just didn't have enough time. Uh, But, you know, I still think it was a very well-rounded conversation and I loved hearing his takes. And I mean, listen, state politics, they were boring for most people until the pandemic hit. And then we realized, hot damn, I mean, these people run our lives more so than the federal level. Uh, especially when it comes to just day-to-day living and things like that. I mean, we saw that. It was very, very clear during the pandemic just how much power our individual states and then even more so our individual cities have on our day-to-day livelihoods. And I, I am excited at the prospect of being able to change that, being able to get more involved in that, and also being able to help people get educated on what's happening on the state level specifically when it comes to California, because obviously I live here and quite frankly, I am sick of this shit. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I think a lot of people are. And, you know, we're seeing this massive exodus to Texas and to Florida and to Nevada. And I mean, listen, the property prices in Nevada and as well as the zero income tax at the state level is very, 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 
very enticing to me. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I am in California right now and I do plan on being in LA for at least the foreseeable next few years. And so why not try and make it better? So, you know, with 45 minutes, although we did, I think we went to like an hour, I really wanted to get across the information that was really relevant and that was important to being able to actually make some actionable changes within this state and within this city. So we touch on all of that. And something that he has been discussing nonstop, whether on his profile pages or also on here on this podcast or even on his podcast, The Prevailing Narrative, is the recall efforts for Gascon and what we can do to get behind those efforts. And I think that's really the biggest and most tangible takeaway from this episode. So I hope you guys enjoy and yeah, leave your comments. You know, I'll probably do another suggestion box episode soon. So if you guys have something you want me to discuss, please DM it to me, drop it anywhere on any of my socials. I will check all of them and I will get back to you. You can also always email me at podcast at shawneeshow.com. All right, enjoy the episode and make sure to follow Matt. Matt Polinski. Right. Shawnee Shawnee. Wow, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Taking time out of your super busy legal schedule. Amongst other things. <laughs> all right, so I think let's just continue off what we were talking about with Gascon because I feel like it's, first of all, as someone who's lived in California, obviously I give a shit about California politics, Yeah. but it isn't as prevalent in the media or in the news, so we don't hear about it. We're not. It's not shoved in our face to understand who's up for election, what's happening, what props, yeah. right? But I do think a lot of people are really interested in what's going on, especially considering the position in which the state is in right now, which sure. is just at the ground. Um, so let's talk first of all about Gascon, but I want you to tell us, you predicted that he would be horrible. Give us his history that told you that he would be the mess that he is today. Yeah, so it's we have to take a historical view on these things because people have a complete amnesia about where America and America's big cities in LA and New York were at in terms of crime and the trajectory through the 90s and the 2000s and 2010s. Crime was terrible in the 70s and 80s and through the early 90s. You go look at the murder rate, the crime rate, it was just accepted that America's big cities, particularly Los Angeles, New York, but you know all of them, Washington, D.C., Boston, Philadelphia, were incredibly dangerous, right? Mm. But just we couldn't solve it. Then somehow, miraculously, around the mid-90s, all the crime rates and the murder rates in all these places plummet just plummet because we accepted that we needed to take it for a number of reasons. And people have spent hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars and tons of treatises trying to figure out what contributed to the massive drop in crime in America's big cities through the late 90s, uh, beginning in the mid nineties, through the late nineties into the two thousands and, and whatever, but whatever we were doing worked. Mm. Okay. The murder rate from 1992 to 2012 in LA and New York, both dropped like 75%. Okay. When were those, the riots in LA were what, 91? 91 or 92. 90, yeah, okay. One of yeah. Those. But essentially, the, we understood that we needed to dedicate more resources to law enforcement, be harsher with sentencing, particularly as to violent criminals, because here's the thing, and this is another uh, complete myth and a cl- and complete distortion of this conversation. There's this myth that America's prisons are filled in, filled with nonviolent drug offenders, that that's what's causing the increase in the, in the, in the prison population of the last 20, 25 years. Right. That's false. 
That yeah, you false. hear the story, someone no, like gets- it's it's not true. Okay, that happens. Those are one in a million cases. If someone wants to see a more liberal commentator who acknowledges that, there's a guy named German Lopez who wrote for Vox, and he can he wrote even a piece on this. And this is you know not a super Republican, right wing, radical, um, tough on crime guy. And he's like, no, it, mo- most people the con- you got got to understand most crimes committed by the same people. They're career criminals that have rap sheets. They're so long. Is there a percentage of the population that is those criminals? I mean, like less than like two. Mm, and they pr- commit like 80% of the crime. So we saw what worked, mm-hmm. right? 2012. Uh, wait, wait. So what was it? It was just being harder on crime. That's part. Listen, uh, other people have speculated on in terms of the impact of abortion, that there are less unwanted children. But but it's in, it, it, interesting. It's, no, that's one of the Freakonomics really went over that. But it's indisputable that taking a harsher uh, approach with more law enforcement resources and a harsher approach towards crime had the, you if you want to call it correlation as opposed to causation, that's a pretty tenuous argument. Okay, there's this, the, the, the relation between correlation and causation of America taking a harsher uh, approach towards criminals and increasing law enforcement resources, particularly in LA, New York, and America's big cities, starting in the early to mid 90s, and the, the impact and the results of that were stunning. We're stunning and miraculous, and to the point that in 2013, LA had, was the safest city in America with more than two million residents. Okay, wow, really? Yeah, how the hell does nobody know this shit? And these are LA didn't have Republican leadership at the time. Okay, <laughs> all we had, but we did have Democrat leadership that understood the problem and was willing to acknowledge realities. Antonio Villaraigosa and uh, uh, LA's Democrat mayor at the time, and Police Chief Charlie Beck had a spark, had a, had a great relationship. Okay, we acknowledge the role that we need the uh, that the uh, law enforcement to play, and in fact, in terms of police brutality and police missteps and oversteps, it was like Los Angeles, LAPD did pretty good. LAPD had uh, you know relatively low officer shootings, cases of of uh, of. Uh, police brutality, mm. and we cleaned up a ton of the issues that we had in the early 90s. And then you've got a guy like Gascon who continually is referring to this as the broken, as as uh, broken approaches that don't work. Uh, you'd always, this is the first thing that, that uh, caught my eye about him. He's always referring to the tactics and approaches that got us a 70 to 75% drop in the murder rate. And this is, and stop, and he also, he always uses these incredibly disingenuous, dishonest um, framings that trying to essentially guilt people um, uh, uh, aspirational people or people in higher income areas that it's just that these spoiled brats who don't want to you know be invaded by people from lower income areas, but that completely and utterly ignores that the reduction in crime was more beneficial to people in lower income neighborhoods because they had to deal with more crime. Well, of course. Yeah. Oh, you, you say of course, but he wants you to believe otherwise. Well, okay. Yeah. But we're not going to go with irrational because they're just clearly irrational. Yeah. But, but talk to me about what he, cause I want to, I want people mm-hmm. to understand why you were so anti-Gascon before he took office. Cause people can see it now, yeah. but there weren't really people discussing this before, but he has a history of destroying cities, right? Yeah. So well, talk uh, us through uh, that. It's, it, all, all anyone had to do was take it five minutes to look at the impact of his policies and the trajectory of San Francisco in the five years before he, he decided to carpet bag and leave San Francisco to come down here. It turns out if you don't prosecute crimes, there's more crime. It turns out if you don't punish criminals, they commit more crime. These are very common sense, obvious things, but I, I, people, people still 
the things that he believes and the policies that he implements are so crazy that people don't think they could act. They're like, no, there's no way it's actually that insane. Give us an example of one of those. For Who do you think authored Prop 47? Okay, of, hey- Tell us what that is. Prop 47, which was uh, dishonestly labeled the safe, they let let this ballot proposition, this initiative be labeled the safe community and schools initiative or something like that. And it was, all it did was remove punishments, right? Everything he does is about punishing crime less. So it turned it it, it, it t- turned all petty theft under nine hundred and fifty dollars into essentially a a traffic ticket. Like you don't get arrested for it. That, that if you legalize crime under nine hundred and forty nine dollars nine hundred and fifty dollars, believe it or not, you get more crime. Right. Everybody was just going into Walgreens and wiping them out. More or less, right? And you people have to, that, that's just a for instance. He let uh, it also, uh, the, the, the thesis was that the, the prisons were too packed and thus it would benefit society, um, tax less, it would re- reduce budgetary resources and it would be better for society if we let a bunch of people out of prison provided they weren't rapists and murderers. Well, believe it or not, not people who are criminals who aren't just rapists or murderers also many times have bad intentions and also wish to commit more crimes. And a lot of those people who it let out something like 20,000 prisoners who, uh, uh, you know, either nonviolent or semi-violent. Was this before COVID? Yeah, this was this is 2014 to 2015. They let out how many during that time? Something like 20,000, maybe more. Mm. Um, And these were people they they didn't just let them out. You know, it was a reduction in sentencing. But once again, the these people were sentenced to how long they were sentenced for good reasons. Okay. Okay. So so all the people who got all the all the policies that he's implementing now on releasing people from jail. The the reasoning being is this overcrowded idea, right? But were the jails actually overcrowded? But, but there's no such thing as overcrowded, right? Because how many people are should be incarcerated should be a reflection of how many people commit crime. Well, That's I just the, mean I just mean physically space to okay, prisoner. Not really, and you know maybe a little bit, but go build another prison, mm. okay? You can transfer or transfer prisoners to uh, other uh, jails within LA County. What happened to that jail in downtown? You know the um, one that they, yeah, that they closed down and they just sort of released everybody? Yeah, yeah, I'd have to look into that. But the general thesis is, and once again, this gets back, you said they, they use this terminology like uh, 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 mass incarceration mm. or overcrowded prisons. There's no such thing as mass incarceration or minimal incarceration. Incarceration should be a function of how many people commit crimes, period. If a lot of people commit crimes, then a lot of people need to be in jail. If not a lot of people commit crimes, then not a lot of people should be in jail, okay? That's the function of it, right? right? We shouldn't just put less people in jail no, and yeah. claim that now Ex- less people exactly. are committing crimes. One or the, right, and right. we have to accept, and they always try to, uh, they try to uh, dishonestly label the prison population as a failure of the system as opposed to a, a necessary component in regards to how many people want to commit crimes. Unfortunately, there are more people in the city of Los Angeles who wish to commit crimes. Um, there's more criminality than there is in fucking Denmark. We're not Denmark. <laughs> no okay? way. Yeah. Shocking so up. instead of trying to, uh, instead of trying to map the, the uh, kind of, you know, the, the social customs and norms um, or the pr- criminal justice system of a country that has right. so many different characteristics like the Scandinavian countries, you have the, the number one priority has to be to protect innocent citizens. Mm. That's the number one priority. You, everything else is, a, it flows from that is a downstream impact of that. If it's high, if there's a high prison population, it's because you needed to incarcerate a number of people who wish to harm innocent people or pr- commit property crimes in order to deter them, punish them, whatnot. Okay, that's the number one priority, not having a low prison population. 
So Gascon was doing this in San Francisco and clearly destroyed the city. Yeah. And who took over for him, his predecessor? Yeah, Chessa Boudin, who's very much a protege of Gascon, comes from even more radical. And it all comes down to one, uh, uh, niche funding sources, and two, that nobody participates in these elections. And uh, Boudin won his election with something like 13% of overall San Francisco voters. Oh, nobody wow. fucking voted. Nobody pays attention to this shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. I don't think anybody really has been paying attention to really state government, city governments until COVID because that's then who determined what our livelihoods were going to look like. Yes. So it became a bigger deal. And I, I think also in California, this whole crime situation is just a huge We saw it problem. all percolating. We saw it all percolating before, before COVID. And even yeah. if, if Gascon wants to dismiss some of his, you're right. It's not entirely Gascon. But he, we cannot have a, per given the other dynamics, we cannot have a person like him in power during this period. We have to have the exact opposite of him. So how much of this, how much of the defund the police uh, sort of campaign and everything that was going on then factors into what's happening now? Like, have they actually defunded the Los Angeles Police they've Department? Had, they've de defunded the the, uh, the Sheriff's Department. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to what, like, to what levels? How severe has it been? Um, I mean, there's, once again, it's, it's, you can't look at it at a silo. You mm -hmm. have to fund it or defund it or match it to the levels of criminality. Right, according to what right? we need. Which was like in 1992, we needed higher police budgets, right. right? And we needed more officers and we needed to take one approach. Yes, as crime and criminality goes down mm. and particularly in uh, specific areas, yes, then you can recalibrate budgets and whatnot. The problem is we're, tr we're trying to recalibrate downwards while criminality and criminal behavior and activity is going in the opposite direction, mm. okay? Okay, so break this down because I've seen this meme and I feel like it's a huge misconception amongst the liberal crowd who still supports Gascon. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that um, the crime numbers aren't actually as scary as they seem yeah, because yeah. when Ridiculous. you look at, right, right. So explain that because no. you'll see the, pe you'll see the petty theft numbers and people are like, look, everything is going down. Ooh, okay. Da -da 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 -da. Okay. You, you know, which numbers nobody disputes are up murders, murders, uh, and sh murders, shootings and armed robberies. Okay. You want to know why? Those crimes always get reported. Mm. You know what doesn't always get reported? Someone stuck me up for 20 bucks on the street or someone robbed a convenience store, okay? And what, another thing, yes, Gascon is beyond beyond his stated directives. Yes, he they the the other mem the other uh, facets of law enforcement and criminal justice in the city know that he's not going to pro prosecute a bunch of this stuff, so they'd even bother. There's a bunch of, you know, home invasions, trespassing and and I wouldn't say petty thefts, but relatively low thefts that don't get reported because the, the, the cops just show up and say, you know, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. We, we know nothing is going to be done about this. Okay. So what can you not hide? You can't hide murder. You can't hide. Use your common sense. Do you think an era with 50 to 60% increases in murder and, and gun crazy. violence also has overall and all, uh. and one, this is one piece of it. The, the, here's, here's the first piece. One, use your common sense. Do you think an era with, uh, with, shocking increases in murder uh, and uh, uh, gun violence also has just doesn't have overall higher higher crime in general. Do people actually right. think that? Right, people or, are only murdering. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, 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 everyone, yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And number one and number two, once again, use your common sense and your own senses that, okay, here's the other thing. LA is humongous, okay? So if you use aggregate Los Angeles numbers, you're using numbers that, that combine the conditions in dozens of neighborhoods. If you start breaking it down per neighborhood, 
undeniable massive increases in places of, of relatively low criminality previously. Increase in West Hollywood, increase in Beverly Hills, Brentwood, Palisades. And of course, the bullshit response to that will be, okay, who cares? Well, who cares? You know, that if things are going down in bad neighborhoods, but going up in good neighborhoods, that's a really asshole position. Well, that's crazy. It should be, yeah. yeah. So that's what they're saying. So you can hide if they use aggregate LA numbers, you can hide the massive increases in mm. certain specific neighborhoods. Right, because it looks like it's a, just a smaller increase, but yeah. I mean, it's clearly affected by that. Exactly. If areas that have high, that have uh, came from a high baseline and reduce, let's say there's 15 less armed robberies in South LA, Okay, well that that's a small percent. That's a relatively smaller percentage reduction in South LA. If there's fifteen an increase in fifteen uh, overall armed robberies in Beverly Hills and Brentwood, that's an exponential increase in those neighborhoods. Right, it's a crazy. It's a yeah. It's a yes. it's a crazy rise. So stop. They need to. They, they don't let people use those numbers to tell you that what you know is happening in your own community, which is used to the the objective is to have no criminality. We need we, the objective is to have downward pressure on this at all times. Okay, the fa a, a neighborhood that has has near zero violent crime, starting to have consistent violent crime is a problem. Yeah, that's a, a huge cause for concern. And and also this <laughs> the, the craziness of some of these press conferences where they're telling people not to wear jewelry Correct. or yeah. not to come not to come visit LA, yeah. telling tourists not to come here. It's pretty crazy. And it seems like that's yeah. Those are the responses they're giving us. Uh, yeah, because once ago, it, when you go back to asking about the tangible impact of the defund the police and the, let's be honest, the anti-police movement yeah, in America huge. over. Okay. Beyond that, when you criminalize otherwise valid uh, 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 law enforcement activity, like law enforcement sometimes having to get rough and get, get physical with people wishing to commit crime or people who are resisting arrest, right? If you demonize and criminalize that, you've taken away uh, a number of critical tools out of the law enforcement toolbox. So of course they're gonna have more, problem, uh, more problems uh, impeding crime. Okay, so you've hampered and you've hamstrung, and you're sitting there as a cop. You think you want to risk your li your life, your livelihood, and your family's life on you know ha being in a situation where uh, you're forced to get physical and detain um, detain a criminal when someone can deceptively edit that video. The media can take it off, take off, and run with it, um, and and essentially ruin your life under false pretenses. You don't think that's going to have an impact on how law enforcement operates? Yeah. Why would they? Well, first of all, why would they want to be a cop? Okay, so here's another interesting thing to think about because listen there uh two thousand two let's call it trayvon martin through two th summer of 2021 it seemed like every month there would be another big controversial media spotlight event of, uh, of a videoed of a recorded incident of police brutality or a police shooting of an unarmed how many of these have you heard about over the past nine months none none okay so let's dig a little bit deeper into that um, a bunch, you know, of those high profile incidents, there were a few that were truly criminal behavior on the part of the police. Like Philandro Castile would be the, the most prominent. That was something that was inexcusable, needed to be prosecuted. Okay. Um, uh, some of these were pretty, 
pretty, uh, they were on the edge. These were situations where uh, uh, and officers were dealing with dangerous people um, in the process of committing crimes and needed to be dealt with harshly in order to enforce the law and to protect innocent people. And it's not just if the criminal is uh, directly trying to harm someone, but if they're committing an act of crime, they're creating the, the circumstances for others. Think about uh, people running over um, uh, 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 running over pedestrians while getting away from a robbery, things of that nature. They're creating, they're increasing the harmful and the, the dangerous yeah, conditions. I, mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also don't think that you can just, you know, shoot someone for fear that they're going to get into their car and run someone over. Oh yeah, why not? Because they're not actually attempting to do that yet. Yeah, well, they they broke the law and they uh, and they were under arrest and they were essentially they're going to escape and be able. No, no, they're no. Going I to wouldn't. Escape. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that you like if you're if you you're know not something warning all, by them. All, by all means, by all means, uh, a taser and other non-lethal means should be used if possible. Yeah, if those are yeah. available. But the idea that there's just that when faced with using a firearm or allowing a violent criminal to get away in dangerous circumstances, no, I'm sorry. My priority is the safety of the other innocent people and not the criminal. I agree. I just don't like the idea of speculating what this person is going to do and that being the reason. I think the fact that they're running away from a dangerous crime is reason enough. Yeah, but that's part you know of it. I mean? but, no, but that's part of it. One with that, they're, they're, they're intricately- they're, Like one is what they've just done. I, I get it. Which is fact. I get it, but once again- police procedure and what we know about crime, we didn't just pull it out of our ass last week. The reason that these procedures are in place and that we have that we take a certain approach to crime is because we understand what the risks and harms of criminals fleeing, whether on, you know, uh, using a vehicle or a motorcycle or on foot. We, we understand that because we have decades and decades of data and, and use cases to inform our policies and our approach. Right. But I also don't think that the police have, you know, a pristine approach either. I mean, the fact that none of them have martial arts training is insane. If you're doing hand to hand combat, you should be yeah, taking uh, combat you training. You know, something, it, it would be nice to live in that. That's not where I'm laying the blame here. The blame is no, on. No, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm not laying the blame on it either. But I don't think that we can say that all of the data that we have and all the research and our entire format and template is like pristine. But it's not, but it's not pristine. It's the best out of a number of bad uh, options. Okay. That's fair. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. No, st we need to say, same thing. But we can still improve upon it. But that's it. You you continually tweak it, right? Right. And part of what informs that tweaking are things like understanding that the criminals fleeing in getaway cars create danger for innocent bystanders. All that's right. part I'll, of. I'll that's, give you. I'll give that, you that one. That informs the approach. I'll give you that one. How? So do you? No. Feel so let's like, let's go back to what in okay. terms of these high profile shootings. Um, there was the Jacob Blake incident. Which one was that one? The, this was the individual was caught, was shot while he was in a confrontation with his, uh, at, with the, the mother of his children. Um, turns out that he was trying to kidnap the kids, had a knife in his hand. The cop tried to use non-lethal force to subdue him. He was unable to be subdued and Jacob Blake was shot and in fact not killed. He survived, but he's in a wheelchair. Mm. So incidents like that were completely distorted and mischaracterized by the media. And if you're a cop who did everything, how, if you're a cop and you're seeing that the, that the public sentiment is labeled you, the cop, the bad guy in that right. situation, of course that's gonna have an impact on police, on policing. So, okay, so the Jacob Blake incident was one where it it's seemed- It's also a traumatic experience for the cop to be in a fight like that. And then to have, yeah. have all the blame put on them. It's not like a simple, Everyone like, this forget. is just part of their job. It's a really intense job. Everybody pretends this job is easy. Yeah, yeah. This job is hard you wouldn't last, the people criticizing these people wouldn't last a goddamn day. <laughs> I, I would not last okay, a day. Okay, <laughs> so the Jacob Blake 
shooting was one where people started to perk their ears up and say, are we going too far? Are we just starting to instinctually react negatively to any cop shooting, even if it was probably justified? But people didn't really voice their concerns. Then last year, I forget when last year, but I think it was kind of towards the summer, uh, the Micaiah Bryant shooting, which was when the cop arrived on the scene and the 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 uh, a girl was literally swinging a knife at another girl and the cop used lethal force and shot them while she was in the swinging motion with a knife. And then the activist class and the pro, you know, the anti-police or the, the uh, uh, defund the police movement and all the usual suspects could not believe and were trying to do it again. They were trying to label this as another instance of police brutality and irresponsible law enforcement. And that's when people kind of were like, no, no, this one went too far. He literally saved another girl's life. You, you literally had people on social media saying, what, knife fights is just part of being a teenager. And people were just like, <laughs> oh, you didn't see this? Knife fights are part of being a teenager? Wait, wait, Shawnee, wait, shut Shawnee, up. You I did see not this? see, I mean, listen, I like comment sections, but I don't always go There's through the rabbit no, hole. Well, no, 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 this isn't comment sections. There were there were the usual were suspects in, 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 in liberal media with blue shut check marks up. saying that this is another egregious instance of uh, pr police brutality and, you know, uh, listen, knife fights happen, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a seminal moment because it was the one where this movement, the what I believe could have been a valid reform movement to highlight some of the Philandro Castile instances. Right, reform the police would have been right. much better okay. than defund the police. All right, the it decided, it essentially um, lost its way, lost its validity, and just was in place purely to delegitimize any sort of law enforcement. And that was the moment that that movement, no one wanted to say it, but everyone was like, all right, this has gone too far. This is bullshit. We can't keep on just, the, the cops saved a girl's life, fought, did everything right, and you're trying, and like LeBron James even, you know, he posted that thing on Instagram and that had to take it down. So they looked, that movement looked very stupid in response to that shooting. Mm. Since then, have you seen one high profile police shooting? It's actually interesting. No, I haven't. And it makes yeah. sense that that would be. Yeah, now let's look at why. Are we, have we not heard of it? Have there not been any media spotlight police shootings because the police just stopped shooting, you know, shooting people? Well, no, people? obviously not. Okay, or is there a media and an activist apparatus in place to specifically to generate these stories and they realized that they went too far and now that, that whole apparatus fall, fell apart? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's an apparatus behind all these media fucking narratives. It's, it's ridiculous. Sure, but I mean, isn't, like, it, isn't it quite eerie how much it perfectly lines up that since the Micaiah Bryant shooting, which was the one that yeah, yeah, as in they're clearly quieting far. down and regrouping yeah. so that way they can make their next stand on whatever issue um, pops up. I, I don't know. I think I think they're in disarray right now, and also because they know. You know, look, Eric Adams getting, you know, a, a Democrat, mm. a, an African-American Democrat, but who is very vocally pro-police and anti-activist movement yeah. winning in He's New, in New York. York. Yeah. yeah. Um, Glenn Youngkin with the upset. They, they realize that their movement is now doing more harm than good to their political prospects. So I hear that. I think a lot of it also stems from the just the crime rates and, and what's happened. Yeah. And and so they realize like, oh, we actually need police. Yeah, believe it or not. But so it's interesting because what, what you're talking about is, you know, the left going way too far. These issues that they take a stand on mm -hmm. and, and then people kind of overcorrecting. And it sort of segues into what's happening now with Leah Thomas, because I feel like that's 
kind of the yeah. same sort of social pattern that we're seeing in that storyline. Could be. You know, I mean, at least from what I've seen online. So I put an episode out about her um, last week and I did like my whole spiel. Pretty similar, at least in line with your thinking, probably just in a more sensitive tone. Um, and 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 I got a really great response. And most people, I think, agree with that point of view. And they're being more vocal about it, like a lot more so than when she first came on the scene. Uh, yeah, it needs to be the absurdity of it needs to be rubbed, unfortunately needs, needs to be rubbed in people's faces. Well, so what do you think needs to happen for the NCAA to actually change their policy to make sense? It's not hard at all. You need to change your policy to what it was for the entirety of society up until about five years ago. But what do we need to do in order to get the NCAA to do that? Because it's pretty clear oh, the that, majority um, opinion is- it's, This is all, the, the parents are the tip of the spear. Parents, parent, okay, I have strangely, well, maybe not strangely, but you know, it's interesting that I'm, a big share of my following is parents. And it's because- really? Huge. Tons. Oh, actually that makes sense because of COVID. With well, everything yeah, that but was also happening. because this is all being legislated, all of this new little social revolution in America about crime, race, gender, all of it is most directly being legislated in schools. And the problem, and once again, I, based- I'm still, based on 2012 standards, I am still a slightly left-leaning leaning Democrat, okay? Wow, I 2012 change. standards? That's yeah. like a century ago Pretty in political much. Exactly. spectrum now. Yeah. Correct. And the, the, uh, the extent and the intensity of the move towards what were once considered almost laughably radical ideas um, around how a society should operate that people only would in the most ridiculous, like ultra progressive, you know, salon magazines would even feel comfortable stating yeah. are now being bureaucratically mandated through corporate America, through schools. And that's where the parent groups that are seeing this. And the only, cause a person like me, they can just, you know, I, I'm, I'm a tougher target because I, you know, have, I we'll try to have, back. well, I speak back and I have elaborate expo explanations. I don't just use memes, mm, right? You come with facts. Exactly. But a person who has my views, who doesn't have the factual grounding that I have, is an easy target. But parents are a tougher target. Parents who say, no, mm. I don't want this, put, I don't want this as part of the state mandated curriculum or rules in my child's school or in the school that my kid, that I'm paying $35,000 a year from or more for my kid to go to, they have the leverage. So the only way this, this changes is if parent groups Organ, parents organize into groups. That's that is the, the that is the the only way that this changes. That makes sense. I mean, parents always have a lot of leverage in schools because oftentimes, first of all, they're the donors, they're the loudest, You'd they're be part of the committees. Shocked how little they have these days. Really, dude. These. That's so interesting. When all, I in all all my school years, parents controlled fucking everything. No, because these days every parent is uh, worried that if they speak out against something that is uh, a progressive orthodoxy being f filtered into their schools, that they're going to be criticized or canceled or harmed. Or they're it, I get I've gotten thousands of these messages over the last two years. But aren't they more motivated to change things for their kids? They're fairly. Um, I, like, I, are, I sometimes like I feel like say they're fed up now. No, I mean they yeah, have to be. I'm sorry. They're they're unfortunately many of them are cowards, and I, I I've said this to some of their faces. I've said, I mean, it's easy for me to say I don't have a kid, but if you're that, 
intimidated by this, that you are going to just sit back because they, they always make an excuse. Oh, I have to get along with these teachers. Oh, I don't want my wife to have to deal with the stress of like, no, it's like, I'm sorry. It would be nice if we could just allow, like, allow the education system to operate you know, operate in an effective manner and operate normally, it doesn't now. They're filtering in and they're jamming in. And once again, I'm sorry, I was not some like, I, no one hated George W. Bush more than me. I voted Obama twice and I'm glad I did. Okay, the stuff, the progressive ideals that are being mandated in, in uh, elementary school and through the education system these are not okay. I'm not on board. Okay, so fill us in a little bit because most of my audience I don't think has kids, or at least I don't know, but I don't think that they have kids. So what What is being mandated right now? Critical race, gender uh, um, theory. Yeah. Oh my God. Everything about but to this. what extent for? I mean, how can a child even understand any of the lingo? You know, it's it's they don't, but they don't really understand it. But they'll gravitate towards what ch children are the most impression at their most impressionable stage. Child child development, right? Social contagion. They gravitate towards whatever is put in front of them. Okay. Yeah, I loved what you guys talked about uh, with Colin Ray about social contagion. I think that that's really on point. And Shawnee, it's Shawnee, if you saw. The, the messages I get from teachers who aren't on board with this stuff. Ooh, interesting. I have, 20, I have 27 kids in my class. 12 of them consider themselves non-binary. They change their pronouns every two weeks. The, the idea that this is all just tolerance of what is otherwise a natural phenomenon is the most ludicrous thing you could ever imagine. This is social contagion. They shouldn't even be focused on this. She, they should Correct. just be having fun. This, Literally yeah, just correct. be having fun. And so it's, it shouldn't even be in their well, purview. It's because it's we've, made, we've somehow made this the battleground of civil rights, right? After gay marriage was legalized, we said now the true civil, civil rights battle is essentially whether or not the, the tolerance and the indulgence of you determining whether or not you're a man or a woman. Right, 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 right. Self-selectively as a subjective matter as opposed to being based in biological fundamentalism. Well, what's so fascinating is for a movement that is so focused around gender being fluid and not really mattering, it's such a big focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's And well, that's what I think is kind of morbid and disturbing. It's like, how is this what American society... It's, it doesn't say good things about a society when this... It, it, uh, this much of its mind share and emotional capacity and brain capacity is occupied by this issue. All right, how much how much do you think China has any impact on any of this? Because I feel like they're just throwing at us every social issue that can possibly infect our society so we don't look at them. No, I mean, tinfoil hat slightly, but you know. I don't think it's that tinfoil hat. I, I, you know, I can't say that I have that much direct evidence and hey, I'm, I'm an evidence guy. I don't mm. like this whole... Oh, these, you see that this was an aligned incentive, this was an aligned incentive, and then you can fill in the space in between. I don't like to leave it to that. I like right. direct evidence, but man, I mean, they, they know what, but our foreign adversaries know which buttons to push and they know that what's dividing us right now and is what's sucking our attention away from more pressing concerns to nonsense is gender and is race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I just see that happening nonstop. I feel like, we're so easily distracted as a society. It's it's actually, it's hilarious and it's sad and it's frustrating and it's everything and more. And, you know, we're so easy to manipulate. 
And often, I mean, even I have to take myself out of situations and be like, okay, you know, Matt said so-and-so, Joe Rogan said so-and-so, these guys said so they all agree. Do I actually agree? Take myself out of that. Do my own research. And I think it's really important, even the people who you think are free thinking, you should still think for yourself and not just listen to them. And I mean, we're not really building a society of people doing that, especially in these kids, because we're just throwing them all of this kind of weird information that they're having to process. And now it's just fact. And an obsession with identity and category. This yeah. isn't healthy. Like a, a lot of people, you know, accuse, say, oh, stop, stop, you know, widesizing Martin Luther King's uh, judge people based on the, their uh, their character as opposed to their skin color. Widesizing. But, <laughs> but that was a pretty good lesson. Yeah. Like that message is actually a good one. Mm. And we've just tossed it out the goddamn window. Like, no, be a person first, be an individual first, be judged based on your character and your behavior and your, and your values first, as opposed to, and these kids were just making them obsessed. It's a bureaucratic obsession with what they identify as everything as a, as a insert X, as a insert Y category. I believe no, an idea or a principle or a value exists independently of the category of the person who believes it. What kind of impact do you feel like this is all going to have on the dating world and the, and the marriage world and just America procreating the next generation? Because it's, I mean, it yeah. does all tie in. I mean, uh, the, mur the murder rate, the, the, mar <laughs> the, mar the marriage rate, Similar? maybe both of them, right? Maybe inversely correlated. <laughs> the, marriage late, the marriage rate and the birth rate, the fertility rate are plummeting. And this is probably going to, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, hey, uh, the reason we're here at, at our most cellular level is to procreate and all of this rewiring of gender. I mean, you know, it's anti-procreation. Yeah, you, these people can't procreate. Right, so if you take another little slice of one to two percent of America who decided to biologically alter them, you know, chemically alter themselves so they can't procreate, I mean, yeah, that's going to have an impact. A lot of this, in terms of it's got, it's got to be for kids. It's got to be a more hostile dating environment for teens and people in their twenties. Um, I did another segment on this about you know the West Elm Caleb situation, and I mean, in terms of it's like you're almost living in a bit of a surveillance state right now, where mm. you know you get into some hairy stuff. Forget forget claims of assault. Like nobody nobody accused West Elm Caleb of doing anything without their consent or sexual assault or anything. They just accused him of being a jerk and mm. like kind of ghosting him. And like, all right, you can all of a sudden become a meme, right? <laughs> it's like, this can't be a healthy way for people, for young people to exist. Right, right. With that fear just ling lingering over their heads. It's all, I mean, it's all crazy, but I am, I am seeing a huge pushback against all of this. And I am seeing people come sure. out and speak more against it and be more comfortable speaking out against it without fear of this cancellation idea. Mm -hmm. do, do you feel like cancel culture is still present? Oh, it's massive. Oh my God. Because people, when people are analyzing the extent of cancel culture, it's a bit of a survivorship bias because they only analyze who actually said something. They don't analyze the However many people oh, said, however many people said something that was controversial and got into one of these little situations, multiply that by ten thousand, and that's how many people, if they were expressing what they wanted to express, would. If you have any idea how many messages I get, say I I feel this or I believe this, mm. but I don't feel comfortable saying it. I've uh, I, I kid you not. Over the last two years, since March two thousand twenty, it's got to be. 5,000 messages easily. 
more than that. So the everyone is self-censoring, particularly everyone with a corporate job. Okay. So what's all these parents? I talk to these parents like and the thing is the the views that they are self-censoring on are not controversial. They're the, right, like, right. But like, they're still cancelable, which is crazy. Because they don't want to deal like me, I don't I have a tolerance for criticism. Right. People are fucking terrified of any criticism at all. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Somebody posted a tweet and they got a lot of backlash. One of my friends, there was like five comments and I'm like, this isn't really, it's, it's fine. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it'll be okay. No, it's like, like you guys don't realize like this, it's all an illusion. It disappears. Everyone moves on in two weeks. I'm like, all these, like, what if I get a bad Yelp review? I'm like, are you kidding me? Did one, did three bad Yelp reviews you've had thus far tank your business? No. Mm. It can be like, are you kidding me? Everyone, it, 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 it's, my experiences as a lawyer are helpful in understanding the psychology here. Oh, interesting. The first time someone gets sued, they literally have a meltdown no matter what. No matter what, the first time they see themselves on the on the other end of a lawsuit. Are you going to represent me the first time I get sued? It's not what I do, but anyways, Thank I'll have so a much. colleague. Wow, that's really nice. It's, it, I'll have a colleague. <laughs> okay. I don't even want you to be my lawyer no, anymore. No, I'm not a litigator. You don't want me defending you. <laughs> you want me to say, okay, well, you're getting sued. Calm down. So here's what I, every time, the first time someone gets sued, even if it's a bullshit claim and even if it's something that's not, they literally melt down and can't sleep for three nights, okay? It's just this, this cellular innate thing that happens to people when they get sued. By the second or third time they get sued, they're like, oh, whatever, unless it's actually, unless the, the threat is actually real and they actually did something wrong and it's their... But even if it's even if it's not real, don't you have to pay a lot of money to fight off a suit? Um, okay, but hey, you could maybe do that with five, ten thousand dollars. It's not the end of the world. Okay. They they don't sleep. They acid rushes to their stomach. They have a breakdown. The same thing happens the first time people on the internet start talking shit about you. Mm. They fucking freak out, and they don't realize. All this is going to do is be a lot of people up in you, hating you for the next 48 to 72 hours, and then everyone's going to move on. Yeah. It happens every time. Mm. Okay? Do you know how bad a, a, uh, a controversy you have to get into for you to be, uh, for this to actually matter? The, the threshold's high. For it to stick. It doesn't stick. And even if it sticks with a little- but but sticking with the audience, like with the fan base is so different than it sticking with, let's say your employer or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it is my, it is my belief that if you stand, if you communicate clearly and unapologetically that what you're being accused of is, uh, is false, usually people fucking, usually people bend to your will. Look what happened. I mean, listen. Yeah. Ooh, Dave Portnoy style. Yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing you could say, well, Portnoy's this big, but a lot of other people in Portnoy's position wilted and bent the knee and they got fucked. Yeah. And Portnoy Absolutely. said no. And the port, the attempts at Portnoy cancellation were farts in the wind. They were the most embarrassing failures of all time. <laughs> that article so was could ridiculous. you do, ask someone, could you do something one fifth as successful as how Portnoy handled it? Yes, you can. Right, right. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. I think it's so clear if you're somebody who can communicate and you can go out there and you can, you can actually articulate yourself instead yeah. of just being like, oh no, I'm going to exactly. hide and da da da, and they're coming after me. This yes. is horrible. And here's the other lesson: do not apologize. 
Unless it's something you actually feel deeply inside based on your own moral and ethics, you should apologize for. But the idea that you have to give this quote, Dave Portnoy didn't say, I can understand why they didn't feel that comfortable or right. this. No, he said, no, they literally were willing participants and enthusiastically and texted me afterwards and they're the ones who initiated and this is bullshit. He did not give them, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Well, that just comes down to being honest, right? It's yeah. like you apologize if you actually want to apologize. Yes. But so often we we just do things based on what we think is going to be good PR. Yeah. Um, um, okay, I know you have to wrap up soon. Yeah, you, know, you got 10 minutes. Oh yeah? Okay, cool. Hunter Biden's laptop. I really want to yeah. talk about that because that shit is crazy and I feel yeah. like it's going so under the radar right now. Yes. Can you fill in my audience just briefly? Like what the fuck is happening? So, I, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Joe Joe Biden's family, man. I'm telling you, if you, look into, if you look into Joe Biden's family, they have benefited an immense amount, not just his son, his brother too. He has a brother who got massive construction yeah, contracts about, about Iraq, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, all right, well, you know, we it, it is it's a relevant item to the citizens of the United States who uh, elected this guy vice president now president whether or not he's operating in an ethical manner whether or not you know his family members are unfairly profiting over his positions right and Hunter Biden was a guy first uh, is is a guy who's like he was involved heavily in areas uh, of the world that matter a lot to the U S like there's literally Burisma yeah he was on the Burisma board. And he got- What's Burisma? Burisma is a Ukrainian oil and gas company. Okay. Okay. Hunt, they put Hunter Biden on the board for, I think it was either 50000 or $80,000 a month. He has no background in this business whatsoever. Wow. So, okay, what was he on the board for? Um, there was a prosecutor, I forget his name is something with an S, starts with an S, I believe, was pretty well regarded and was, was uh, trying to root out corruption in the Ukraine. He was going after Burisma's chairperson, who was a shady Ukrainian guy. Mm. All of a sudden, they get Hunter Biden on their board. Joe Biden flies 2014 or early 2015, flies to the Ukraine and gives a speech, essentially admonishing the rest of the Ukrainian government to fire this prosecutor in the name of rooting out corruption. And all of a sudden, that prosecutor gets fired. Fired. So the prosecutor looking into Burisma gets fired in response right after uh, uh, Hunter Biden um, gets put on their board for a nice monthly check. That's crazy, guys. Everyone's That's fucking crazy. Guys, everyone's trying to dismiss. Like, uh, if it was just Hunter Biden being a junkie and having a drug problem and in orgies or whatever, I wouldn't care. Right, but it's like, a different story. there's massive conflicts of interest in dirty dealing involving and corruption involving Hunter Biden and Joe Biden having to do with parts of this world that seem to have a pretty significant impact or significance to the United States. He was dealing with China. Hunter Biden was on the board uh, as right. uh, big stakes with companies in China. There's one, he had a big 10% um, uh, uh, share of a, of a Chinese energy company was supposed to divest from what the available evidence he hasn't divested. So, okay. So do you, all the evidence that we have now on Hunter, do we feel like his actions were motivated by self-interest or was he working on behalf of the Biden family? Both both. It's pretty, I mean, do I think that Joe Biden put a, a business plan together and say, Hey, he, Hey, Hunter Biden here, here's what, you know, here's the game plan that I want you to run. No, but Hunter Biden clearly was an, Hunter Biden was an influence peddler. Mm. Hunter Biden was a guy who had a, fa a powerful father who had other powerful contacts and he would continually put himself, his business was putting himself in alliance with people who wanted access to people in power that could help them out for a handy uh, advisor fee or a share of equity. That's right, what he did. Right. Right. So what 
what kind? Okay, so what kind of indisputable evidence is on the laptop that they're trying to just? I mean, oh, I cover mean, up uh, right however now. many emails that. Um, would just what I just described. Like uh, uh, there was another dinner that Hunter Biden denied that the one of the Barisma people had met Joe Biden at, and there's an email from that Barisma representative saying <laughs> it was a pleasure meeting your father. Wow. Yeah. Things wow. of that nature. No, what, and, and there was no- what is the? Uh, I understand the motivation of wanting to keep it quiet during the election because they just wanted Biden to win. But why? What's happening now? It's because like they the don't media- want to look stupid. They don't want they they don't want to acknowledge that they uh, ran it. They, they ran the disinformation campaign. Uh, like, listen, guys, I don't begrudge anyone for voting for Joe Biden. I Donald Trump did not did not conduct himself in a manner that earned that was worthy of voting for him. Okay, but. That do, do not let that dis- disabuse you of a fact. And the fact is an entire media apparatus and social media companies colluded and conspired to shelve a very relevant story that exhibited egregious corruption and self-dealing from the Biden family with important international actors. This was the algorithm change, right? Like the yeah. social media uh, platforms. How many of them did that? All of them? I mean, definitely the a twi- big ones? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I doubt I was like, TikTok. I mean, they're, you know, they're <laughs> Chinese, but um, yeah. And no, and everyone, what, like, think about the relevance of the story. And because here's what, what remember uh, James Comey reopening the case into the Hillary emails a week before the election? Yeah. They yeah. didn't want this happening again. They believed that if they had simply, like, let's say they shelved that story, that if just nobody reported on the James Comey thing in 2016, mm. that Hillary would have won. So that's what they tried to do this time, even though it was relevant, even though it was validated. Listen, Hunter Biden, they had every piece of evidence available at the time, October 2020, suggested that it was authenticated. Hunter Biden's ex-business partner, Tony Bobolinsky. Yeah, oh, it was it was yeah. verified. You can here's the thing. It was verified with counter emails that the emails shown on the laptop were the same emails that the recipients of those emails had. Right, like, right. You can falsify an email from a laptop. You can't falsify the an back email. And forth. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can't falsify from two. I mean, no, I I I know it was authenticated. I know the story was trying to be covered up. And it was just so weird to me because it felt so relevant. I mean, this was like no, direct it was, it was information. The American yeah, American power centers colluded to, to to shelve the story, yeah. So, okay, what's your thoughts on Biden in general in terms of his actual physical health? Like, the guy feels like a no, robot. I mean, listen, anyone who who is surprised at how much of a disaster he's been, I mean, and I liked him back in the day. Like, right. you know, during, when he the was Iraq, more alive. <laughs> during the Iraq war, he was a legitimate and, and relatively articulate voice in opposition to the war in Iraq, at least... Uh, you know, every to me, every senator in the United States was late to the party on that one, but he was relatively early, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he was fine as Obama's VP, other than, you know, a lot of the self-dealing corruption stuff. But like, one, he drifts, he totally buckles to the progressive wing in the party nine times out of 10, one. And two, yeah, he's clearly in de- declining physical and mental capabilities. It's obvious. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. No, we, we have, we have a, a president who's, you know, not, not simply not up to the task. I mean, it's like in the communication skills, both of our last two presidents do not have communication skills that are up to at least the, the most minimal threshold necessary for a head of, of head of state. Donald Trump, because he was more interested in engaging in his fucking Trumpian antics, like the type of stuff <laughs> that worked really well. It, they, they were great for a, a rally, right, for a MAGA right. rally. They didn't translate to the day to day. Right. Joe Biden lacks those communication skills because he's of de- declining mental faculties. 
I, I, I just don't under, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they can't run them again. Like it's impossible that their approval rating is so low. And even after this war, the, after the, uh, you know, cause he's the, it, whether or not it was because of Joe Biden or not, the situation in Russia and the Ukraine has gone better for the Biden administration than you, if Russia had just steamrolled the Ukraine, took them over and, you know, and we looked weak and, and feckless, that would have been a worse outcome. Yet it hasn't helped his approval ratings at all. No, no. Well, but I also don't think that he handled it very well leading up to the actual situation. No, no. I mean, listen, America, without saying, I'm not going to say it's America's fault that this happened. It is not America's fault that this happened. Did we make a number of, of strategic missteps that enticed what who yes. we knew to be a bad actor and a risk into that risk materializing? Yeah, of course. Also, I don't think he's really doing much of this himself. He doesn't no, seem like I, he can think of any of it. No, I would disagree. He he does a lot of this. Does he? I know someone involved, uh, very involved in his campaign who's not smart enough to lie about it. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, so, so he's actually in control making decisions. I mean, a number of, well, the thing is he really just, uh, and the reason his administration has been a failure is because he pretty much just recycled a bunch of you got to understand how little a president does because there's so much to do. So much has to be handled by staff and appointments. And he appointed a lot of career politician, career bureaucrat, people that were involved in the Obama. Like, uh, even so, a couple of Republican friends of mine, they're like, yeah, I didn't dislike Obama that much. He just appointed the wrong people. And it's kind of true. Mm. And Joe Biden just went and used the same people. Okay. Victoria Newland, Tony Blinken. Tony Blinken's a fucking idiot. Who's um who's running our education right now? I haven't you know something I haven't paid attention to the ed educate Department of Education. So have I'm just so curious what the top level thinks about what's happening at the state level in the education system. Well, right that's now. you have to look at it goes state by state, which is right? just so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing the the Chris Rufo anti you know uh, curriculum transparency movements, and that's having a lot of success in red states, and we'll see it starting to. Because wait, it's what is it? The anti-transparency? Anti no, it's uh, the the pro-transparency. It's the curriculum transparency. Got it. Got it. So essentially, can the, see the what's notion the notion being that that over the last five to ten years, a number of that prog progressives have overtaken the entire elementary school education system and are filtering in stuff that once again in 2012 would have seemed completely psychotic to even that even Democrats would have never even thought to try to, you know, filter into the curriculum right. that now are, are just all over the place and that it happened while parents weren't looking. And what happened during COVID is parents were, able, were at home all day, got to take a deeper look into elementary school and high school curriculums, saw what was going on and it horrified them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It makes sense that that's why it would blow it up. I mean, yeah, I, I do feel like parents need to understand what their kids are learning at schools. It's where they're yeah. literally becoming humans and, every single know, day. And, and having, uh, showing, uh, as I talked about with Colin Wright, you, you know, carting out a lesson on the gender bread man to teach three-year-olds about gender fluidity. I've and heard how it's, about that. Yeah, and how That's it's, ridiculous. It's, it's, uh, it's worse than ridiculous, rep repulsive. Um, and, you know, stuff like that or uh, having, ki you know, kids with on segregated playgrounds, which is happening these days, or segregated field trips um, or engaging in privilege exercises based on your skin color is like, oh, wait, OK, I'm not OK with this. Right. Those privilege exercises are the ones where kids are just coming home traumatized. Yeah, and no. And, and listen, like they, they want uh, the the responses. Oh, they're not teaching critical race theory in uh, elementary schools. And then you card out, you see a Chris Rufo tweeting out a 
speech from like the Detroit superintendent of schools from like 2017, literally saying like, yes, crit we, we, uh, uh, critical race theory is a, uh, um, a critical part piece of an elementary school education. And we hired this critical race theory, uh, consultant, blah, blah, blah. And he just, he, ha he has tons of those. Okay, so what can we do right now, specifically in California, since that's where we are and that's what's coming up right now? What can we do with Gascon? What can we do with Newsom? Like, what are the next steps that so people need to Gascon take? Gascon is very e easy. Donate money to the recall uh, effort because they use the recall, uh, they use the money donated to the recall effort for signature gathering purposes. The sentiment against Gascon has crossed the threshold of, of recall. It's purely about the elbow grease of great getting signatures, mm -hmm. and that is purely a function of money. The most direct ROI that you can get from your political dollars is money towards the Gascon recall because it literally goes to gathering the signatures, get the signature threshold by July 6th, get it to a vote. His neg his approval ratings are heavily underwater. He will not be easy. He would not be hard to defeat in an election. Okay. It's just about getting the signatures. Newsom, um, a gentleman named Mike Schellenberger, who you may, he's mm. gotten some cr uh, notoriety from being on uh, Rogan a couple times. And he's been a fierce advocate of, once again, he's a pretty liberal guy. He's always been associated with liberal organizations because the, the progressive approach towards homelessness and crime and addiction in California is not liberal. It's psychotic. And he's been <laughs> speaking out against it. And he has decided to run as an independent against Newsom and support Mike Schellenberger. Fantastic. Okay? Um, LA, when is when is that election? That'll be in November. So check in check in on what Schellenberger's doing. I've been put in touch with him. I'm trying to get him on my podcast. He's a little busy right now, but I'll get him. And when's the supposed recall or the the intended recall we, for Gascon? We need to get the signatures. We have a little over three months to get the signatures. Okay, signature, signature, signature. Stop thinking about the election. Get your friends to sign the sign the recall petition. Donate money, okay? I'll tell them you can, anyone wants to reach out to me, I'll send you information. Money, 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 signature gathering, okay? okay? It is direct. It is a physical act. So this is just step one, then we'll figure out the next after that. The nut, I'm telling you, his approval ratings are tanked. Even his, even, every, uh, even his supporters, like they don't want to come out vocally about him. Like he's gonna, if we get the signatures, he's gonna fucking lose. So did you, do you feel... Obviously, do you feel stronger about Gascon getting Absolutely. recalled than when we were going for Newsom? No, listen, no, listen it, it, if, if anything the last two years have taught us is how localized these things are. If you have a DA who doesn't prosecute crime, who destroys the morale of all law enforcement in the city because they know that uh, the 99% of people who are arrested are not going to be prosecuted, like that, it doesn't matter who the fucking governor is. It are, doesn't matter who the mayor is. Is San Francisco going to go after theirs as well? I mean, well, what's no, happening they, over there? Oh, San Francisco, they've already got the signatures. They're going to put them up for an election in June. Got it, got and his, it. And he's going to lose. Got it. So stop thinking it's impossible. Luckily, the active, you know, forthright people like David Sachs and Gary Tan were some, you know, members of the tech world who decided not to leave San Francisco. They've stayed and they said mm. that they want to fact. They put their personal funds towards the recall efforts of Chesa Boudin and it is working. David Sachs, the guy with the podcast, right? On calling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's on great. Barry Weiss this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's all about the recalls right now. And I mean, I, I think hopefully what happens in San Francisco will give momentum to what's going to happen in LA. Absolutely. Because that will definitely be if a good we can push. Absolutely. People need to, it's, we did it with Mike Bonin. The the recall with Mike Bonin, technically they mm. they cheaply, they used some cheap tactics to disqualify a bunch of the signatures, uh, petition signatures for his recall. So it barely missed the threshold, but it's so spooked Bonin, he quit. Mm. He says he's not running for reelection. 
This stuff works. It's the only thing that works. You have to pressure these people because that's what's at, the reason it got to the stone is they ran, they proceeded unopposed for the past 10 to 15 years. Right. Shock and awe that holding politicians accountable would actually hold them accountable. Yeah, wild, <laughs> yeah. wild concept. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, okay. So where can people find you? Give us the, the yeah. shill, the info, prevailing narrative. No doubt. Uh, Matt Belinsky, um, primarily Instagram and Twitter. Both of those accounts are M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. My podcast, The Prevailing Narrative, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you see, whatever you get your podcast. Um, release a new episode typically every Thursday. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, I'm also uh, an attorney, mostly for tech media and startup clients. Um, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to Shawnee and is interested in the Gascon recall, I'm actively working on that and she can put you in touch. So would love to have your support. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully Bye. you'll uh, come on another time. No doubt. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.